Hey everybody, it's Brad here. Before we get started with the show today, I wanted to take a minute and let you guys know about our coaching program we run here at Macros Inc. We believe that every person on the planet deserves to live their healthiest and best life. A qualified nutrition coach and personal trainer can be the key to living that life. At Macros Inc., we provide fully customized one-on-one nutrition coaching and online personal training that has changed the lives of 10,000 people and counting. We offer a two-week free trial for our nutrition coaching, and you can get started risk-free today. Just go to macrosinc.net slash services and sign up. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the show. This is episode number 99, which means we only have one more left this year. So we've got today and the next episode. And then we're wrapping up for the year. But today we're talking about the truth about superfoods, how the money machine works, how everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and why you should focus on seeing life as it is, not what you expect it to be. Let's get into the show. All right, today we're talking about superfoods. And this is more of a general conversation about the topic in general. And then I'll give you guys some specifics and some examples and kind of just let you know why this idea just doesn't really make sense in general. So before we dive into this, I think the first place we'll start is the definition of a superfood. And a superfood is defined based on dictionary terms as a nutrient-rich food considered to be especially beneficial for health and well-being. Now, when we think about it just in terms of that context, there's huge amounts of food that fall within this concept, right? So I think in reality, the definition just isn't very good. When we think about how we use the term superfood colloquially and and kind of common parlance is we think about foods that are like uber healthy, have all these crazy health properties and are things that like you have to consume because they are awesome, right? Like for, I don't know, felt like way too long, kale was considered a superfood. When we look at a lot of the foods that are considered superfoods, basically all they are is nutrient-dense foods that we don't consume a whole lot in our diet that probably have some things that we should be getting more frequently in our diet, right? Things that I think of that have become like popular superfoods are things like kale, things like blueberries, things like salmon, things like, um, gosh, like other dark, rich berries, uh, other types of greens, like a lot of these foods that just pack a lot of nutrients in and not a lot of calories and generally have more healthful, beneficial properties. But one of the things that's really interesting to note is when you look at a food like some of these foods, they're really not superfoods in any sense that if you consume them a couple times, they're not really going to change your overall health, right? They have to be included continuously as part of your diet to really impart any major health benefits. Now, the other side of it is all these foods have to be considered in the context of your overall diet, right? If you eat a relatively low quality diet and then you like have a handful of blueberries every day, just because you're getting some antioxidants and some flavonoids and some other maybe potentially health benefiting nutrients in your food, you're not actually doing anything to move the needle on your overall health because that small that small behavior is a drop in the bucket of a much larger ocean of behaviors. So when we think about superfoods, 
what we really need to do is when we hear this idea about superfoods, it's like, hey, this is probably a nutrient-dense food that I can include in my diet as part of an otherwise overall healthy dietary pattern. Now, where I think people get in trouble <clears throat> is they don't think about the food in context of what you're replacing it with, right? So one of the examples I always give people is is kale, right? A lot of, for, I don't know, probably felt like five, 10 years, kale had this like magical place in our uh, nutrition circle of like, oh, it's this awesome food that has all these nutrients in it. Well, the thing is, Kale is rich in like fiber and it's maybe rich in, maybe it's vitamin C. I, I honestly can't remember exactly which one it is, but it's rich in one of the water soluble vitamins, but it's low in other things, right? Like it doesn't have a lot of iron in it. It doesn't have a lot of vitamin B12 in it. It doesn't have any vitamin D in it. It doesn't have any, you know, real probiotics or prebiotics in it. It doesn't have any protein in it. So it's, it's, a superfood in one category, right? But you need foods in other categories, right? You need to have foods that are rich in bioavailable protein. You need to have foods that are uh, rich in iron. You need to have foods that are rich in B12. You need to have foods that are rich in choline. You need to have foods that have, um, you know, like omega-3 fatty acids. Like you have to have the whole panoply of foods in your diet. So having a single superfood that you focus on doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So I think what we should really just change that name to is nutrient-dense foods. Like calling them a superfood doesn't do anybody any real benefit, right? What you should do is you should just have kind of in your mind, and this is the way I think about foods, kind of have a matrix. You have a like an X and Y axes. One X is nutrient density, right? On the far left is very low nutrient density. On the far right is very high nutrient density. Like very low nutrient density would be um, like, let's say a processed oil, right? Or like table sugar, right? There's just no nutrients in that food. On the other end of the spectrum, maybe like, um, you know, like a food like salmon or blueberries or, you know, things like that, that are very high on the nutrient density scale which is like how many nutrients, like vitamins, minerals per gram of food. And then the other axis is energy density, right? Some foods are very low in energy, things like kale. Some things are very high in energy density, like butter or olive oil. And there's this kind of matrix where some foods are very high nutrient density, low energy density. Some foods are very high energy density, low nutrient density, and they can fall in any of those quadrants. And so think about your foods kind of in that perspective of like, where do they fall on the energy density scale? Where do they fall on the nutrient density scale? And am I trying to get more foods that kind of are higher on the nutrient density and lower on the energy density scale? That's generally a much better way of looking at foods than classifying them as like superfoods or non-superfoods, or even classifying them as good foods, bad foods, clean foods, processed foods, um, you know, whatever, 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 what ever other way you want to categorize foods and kind of binary classifications doesn't really give foods their full context in your life. So think about them in terms of like energy density and nutrient density, and then how do those fall within the whole scope of your diet? So that's kind of a brief overview on superfoods um, and how you guys should think about them. We'll take a quick break and we'll, then we'll jump into the business insights.
All right. Today's business insight is a little bit less on just like daily operations of a business and leadership thoughts, which these generally are, and a little bit more about how business, the market, how people make money, all those things work in general. So kind of the concept today is how the money machine works. And I want to talk about it from two perspectives. And mostly these are because these are two conversations I've had. So a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Amazon or something. And somebody was talking about how like, hey, you know, Jeff Bezos gets paid way too much money and he should really be giving more money to his workers. This is when, you know, he was still an, an employee of Amazon, who's the CEO. But what's interesting is if you look at people like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, etc., their compensation and how they get paid is actually has nothing to do with the cash flow and revenues of the business directly and how they pay themselves and has everything to do with how the market values companies and how stocks work. So if you actually look at what like Jeff Bezos got paid, I think his last year there, he kept an annual salary of like $81,000. His total compensation when you include like perks, security, all that, it was like, I don't know, 1.7 million, something like that, I think was what he got paid, right? Which if you look at how many employees work at Amazon, his total company compensation was less, well, it was right around, a, he made a dollar per person who worked at Amazon, right? He built this massive company and then he ended up making a dollar per person, right? But where all of his money came from and all of his financial assets is stock prices going up, right? So he owned a huge portion of the company and the stock price went up. Now, all the money, the $200 billion, let's just say, that Jeff Bezos made did not come from money coming into Amazon and then him paying himself. What it came from is stock prices being bought by people who bought Amazon stock, right? So his money actually came from people outside of Amazon buying Amazon stock and driving the price up. And us buying products from Amazon, showing strong revenues and strong growth drives the stock price, which then he makes money on that. Now, he doesn't actually have any liquid money until he sells it, which is a really interesting concept, right? So when we think about things like this is... CEOs and owners and founders of massive companies actually make most of their money from the outside market investing in their company than they get from the actual company itself. Now, this then turns into kind of the next discussion. So one of the really interesting things that once you kind of start getting into certain aspects of business, you realize how the money machine works in terms of the market, private equity, venture capital, et cetera. And a lot of it just becomes a, a value game um, and then making money on the concept of a business. And I'll kind of walk through that here in a second. So here's what I mean by that. Let's say you start a company. You build it to, let's just call it $10 million a year in revenue. You decide, hey, I've built this company I have spent my whole life doing this. I don't have a ton of cash to show for it because I've dumped everything back to the business. I'd like to like have some money of my own that I can then like spend my life doing what I want. So you decide to sell your company. Let's say the sector you're in, the current market valuation on a private company like that is about five times total revenue, right? 
So let's say your business is operating at a 10% margin. So your business is making a million dollars a year of net revenue or net profit, excuse me. But you can sell your business to a broker or um, you know, a, a private equity firm, or you can take VC money or a lot of different ways that this can happen. And you do this at, let's say that 5X, that $50 million valuation, let's just say. So now you get paid $50 million. So you're set for the rest of your life. But in the back of your head, you're thinking, why would somebody pay me $50 million for a company that's really only generating a million dollars a year of like net profit? It's going to take them 50 years to recoup their money. But here's what's actually happening on kind of the backside. There's two or three things that happen. One is this company is planning on taking your company and helping you scale it from 10 million to 20 million in the next two to three years. And then they're going to go sell it to somebody for 100, 150 million. So they're actually going to turn their 50 million into 100 million. And they're going to make 50 million on that 50 million purchase price in 24 to 36 months, where it took you 10, 15 years and a ton of blood, sweat, and tears to make that same amount of money. Now, what's even more interesting is a lot of times the people then who are buying that business aren't actually writing you a check for $50 million of their own money. They're taking a loan out. They're borrowing money. They're borrowing the $50 million at, let's say, 5% interest. They're going to pay interest and probably some principal on that note for two years. So maybe it costs them half a million. And then when they sell it, they're going to then pay off that debt and they're going to take the $50 million. So they actually turn the 500000 of principal and interest into that $50 million profit. So that's the way the money machine actually works. That's how VC works. That's how private equity works. Now, they're all a little bit different. Sometimes it is hard cash that they've taken in from investors. Sometimes it is like lines of credit they've run. Sometimes it's a whole lot of different stuff. Depends on market cycles and all sorts of things. But when you really get into kind of the under the hood stuff of how businesses work and how buying and selling them works and how the market works, that's how people get paid. That's how these major paydays work. Um, and that's how like places like Amazon and the CEOs like Elon Musk, um, Jeff Bezos, those people, they don't really get paid based on the revenues of the company. They get paid based on the market value of the company, which is driven by outside people buying money in public companies or private equity investing into companies at larger valuations as it gets bigger and bigger. So I just thought that was a really interesting just kind of discussion of how businesses actually work. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll jump into the last segment of the show. All right, last segment of the show today. What am I learning today? Uh, this is this is a quote from Mike Tyson, which I never thought I would say on this podcast, but uh, very reflective of probably the last just month or so. Is I, I and this is not just like me, but in general, in terms of like just the world, the time of year, what people are doing, what people are thinking about, what people are getting ready for. Is the quote is everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Um, and really what that means is we all have these kind of grand ideas of what we think we're going to do and what we think is going to happen. Um, 
But life is tough and throws us a lot of curveballs along the way. And what really matters is what do we do once things don't go the way that we think they're going to go, right? In the context of Mike Tyson, it's like, hey, everyone has a plan when they get in the ring of how they're going to how they're going to, you know, manage this fight and then they get hit and then everything just like falls to the side, right? And then it becomes a plan of then it becomes a uh, a game of how do I survive and how do I continue moving? And when we think about that in the real world is, you know, you're going to get hit all the time. You're going to have somebody's going to die. You're going to have a stock market crash. You're going to have a pandemic. You're going to have a relationship go sideways. You're going to have difficult things happen. And that's going to happen. And the real measure then is how do you navigate when stuff gets difficult? And and that's really kind of the focus is like what do you do after things become difficult and the plan is no longer the plan? So that's just what I'm learning today and what I'm thinking about. The Daily Win, we are officially on episode 99, which means we're going to hit that 100 mark. I thought I'd probably be at episode like 120 by now, but Macros Inc. has been crazy. We've doubled in size again. We're over 100 and I think probably 110 people now. So this year has just been way crazier than I anticipated, which means more time in the business and less time on thinking about podcasts. But that's actually a daily win. Um, I'll take that kind of growth any day of the week. Um, But we are going to hit episode 100. Next episode, we're going to do a wrap-up episode. And then we're going to launch season two of this show, which will be next year. It'll look a little bit different. Um, It'll have a slightly different format, a little bit deeper dive on content, but super excited about it. And then the daily learning lesson is focus on seeing life as it is and not what you expect it to be. I think a lot of times where we have a lot of struggles in our own lives is we try we try to force the world to do what we want it to do. And when it's not like that, it becomes difficult. But if you can just focus on see life as it is and try to find ways to fit yourself into that world and really adapt and try to make the best of all those situations, the better things will be. So that's it. That's episode number 99. I'm Dr. Brad. I'm out of here. I will see you guys for episode 100.